재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵. We start in the UK, the British Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit bill to begin Britain's separation from the European Union was defeated by members of the House of Lords, the upper house of UK Parliament, who voted in favor of an amendment to the bill guaranteeing the rights of EU nationals residing in the UK. This amended bill is now to be sent back to the House of Commons, which is the lower house of Parliament, which did pass the bill unamended back in February, raising concerns that the bill could now ping-pong, so to speak, uh, between both houses. To give us some analysis, uh, very pleased to have joining us from the University of Bath International Relations Professor Bill DeRody. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Uh, to begin with, what kind of measures does the uh, Brexit bill proposed by uh, Theresa May carry, and how different is it uh, from this uh, so-called amended bill? Well, the, the, the original Brexit bill is very short and very straightforward. All it does is it confers powers on the Prime Minister to notify the European Union of the intentions of the United Kingdom to withdraw from membership of the EU under Article 50, Section 2. Uh, the amendment, which is not a defeat as you described it, it's an amendment proposed by the House of Lords, asks uh, that within three months of the process having been started, measures are introduced by the government to assure the uh, position of EU nationals uh, as well as nationals of the European economic area, which includes Norway and Switzerland, that they their rights to remain in the UK uh, are not affected. In terms of uh, rights being unaffected, if it was uh, an unamended bill, uh, what uh, would have been the status of uh, EU citizens who uh, currently reside in the country? Well, it is likely to go through unamended. I mean, the the House of Commons have indicated to the House of Lords that that they don't care what amendments are put forward. They will reject the amendments and send it back because they believe uh, that um, parliamentary sovereignty comes from popular sovereignty, from the people's will, uh, and people don't want there to be any impediments to, to the commencement of this process. To be frank, the issue of EU citizens in the UK... It's a bit of an odd one because um, it's for the EU to to be discussing this with the United Kingdom. The Prime Minister has tried to obtain agreements from other European nations, uh, but under Article 50, you're not allowed to commence discussions about what happens until Article 50 has been triggered. So actually, uh, they're unable to have those negotiations with her. Uh, And it might be worth reminding the House of Lords also that their priority ought to be to focus on British nationals overseas, possibly, uh, at least as much as European nationals in the United Kingdom. So is it then also inaccurate to believe that uh, when I I mentioned this uh, ping-pong effect that it would bounce back and forth between the two houses? Yeah, that's very unlikely to happen. I think the House of Lords ultimately does know that the House of Commons represents the popular will, their job is to advise uh, and to possibly improve legislation. But ultimately, you know, Brexit negotiations will start um, and they're at risk if they delay the process of becoming extremely unpopular. And the Commons have indicated that they're quite happy to remove more powers from the Lords if they want to play that game. 
So when we talk about then a game of chicken, the uh, essentially uh, what you're saying is the House of Lords will ultimately blink. Yeah, well, they'll be told to. Um, <laughs> I mean, it will go back to the um, House of Commons. The House of Commons will reject all the amendments proposed by the Lords, uh, and then they'll, the Lords will be required to go through it again. When we talk about the uh, political climate um, in various parts of the world, and we know that there has been this upswelling of anger, and it's expressed itself at the ballot box, uh, whether we're talking about the uh, results of the recent uh, U.S. presidential election and uh, the uh, new administration of Donald Trump, um, the uh, what some people might conflate to be a similar type of sentiment uh, resulting in the, the Brexit referendum. Have we seen those fault lines remain unchanged in the months after uh, the referendum, or are we seeing sort of a shift in public opinion overall in your view? Um, I, I think not only unchanged, but actually all the polls suggest that if there were another referendum tomorrow, more people mm. would vote to leave than did the first time round. At least some of the polls suggest that. Um, but the people who voted leave are more confirmed in their beliefs. And there's a, percent, a significant percentage of people who voted remain who are unhappy that the British government is not just getting on with it now. Uh, they do still believe in democracy, and they, a significant percentage, understand that they lost that battle, uh, and they'd rather that the democratic will were implemented rather than delayed. Um, I should add, by the way, that I personally don't see a parallel with what's happening in the United States. Um, to be frank, the United States are playing very much uh, uh, America first, which is trying to cut itself off from the rest of the world. You could argue that the vote to leave the European Union is the very opposite. It's about propelling the United Kingdom into the rest of the world and to not be so insular uh, and focused only on Europe. Okay, so uh, I, I suppose then the, the misunderstanding uh, from what you're saying is that it's not necessarily an isolationist move. I, I, I guess people from outside the UK, like here in South Korea, could see um, – Wanting to leave the EU would be an isolationist sentiment, but what you're saying is actually trying to be more forward-facing to the rest of the world, and it isn't just about um, remaining in that economic block that is the uh, uh, the the entire package, and that uh, that is the main difference with what the voters in the U.S. Because we keep talking about this sort of uh, populist right-wing sentiment, and and you're saying that's not exa- it's a sort of an apples and orange co- com- comparison. I, I think so. I think you have to bear in mind, obviously, there's a, a lot of very unhappy people um, uh, who've reacted very negatively to the vote. And a lot of those do control very significant media organizations, such as The Economist magazine and The Financial Times. And so they're more than happy to give vent to the idea that the people who voted to leave were nationalist uh, and insular Whereas actually, if you talk to the people who voted to leave, they're very much uh, not necessarily in that camp at all. They're saying things like, we simply want our parliamentarians to be accountable to us, not to people that, you know, we can't control. Uh, And, you know, nothing in life is black or white. Every problem is also an opportunity. And there is an opportunity here for people in your part of the world to think about what this offers in terms of future trade relations.
Yeah, we should talk about that as well, because uh, I imagine you know very well, uh, if anything, um, uh, the political turmoil in South Korea is uh, quite a few uh, degrees more, uh, I I think we can say chaotic than what's going on in the UK right now. Uh, But that being said, uh, for observers here in South Korea who see the situation in the UK, and ultimately if um, uh, Brexit becomes a reality, are there is there a need for any concerns? We we keep hearing about a, a potential bilateral free trade deal now between the two countries. But aside from all of that, uh, is there anything that really fundamentally changes? Well, we we also have to keep uh, a degree of realism. If we look at British trade to South Korea, I think it amounts to about one and a half percent of your total national trade. Quite obviously, China is your number one trading partner, about a quarter of your trade goes with China, about 12% with the United States. So the United Kingdom is is a very small figure at this stage. It's also true, and it's worth reminding people, you don't actually need trade treaties in order to trade, um, and people could just be getting on with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that regard, I do think there's an opportunity to increase the relationships between South Korea and the United Kingdom going forward. So not necessarily a bilateral agreement that would have to be uh, hashed out between the two sides, but perhaps just increasing that uh, partnership or cooperation or what have you, uh, goods and services, and perhaps uh, uh, deepen that relationship, which wouldn't necessarily be anything related to the question of Brexit then, right? Absolutely not. No. um, I mean, the only... This advantage I can imagine for South Korea is obviously the British government is distracted at the moment and is focusing very much on internal matters. And that may have an impact in terms of its um, uh, foreign policy view of what's going on in the South China Sea uh, and areas connected to that. But I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case anyway. We know that the British have just launched a new aircraft carrier They've announced that they're going to deploy it to the South China Sea in the first instance. So I don't think anything's being affected by any of this. Right. And, and you can trust us that uh, we know very well uh, how it feels to have a government uh, very distracted by uh, things that are going on right now. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there, Professor. But thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. You're welcome.